Good evening. Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church. Our Bible lesson for the for this evening. We're continuing our study in Job. Job. We just finished Job 39, and we're prepared to begin Job 40. Uh, we have 40. 41 and 42 remaining, and most of this is God speaking to Job, and there are a lot of wonderful lessons to be found in these verses. The Lord is my light and my deliverance, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Wait on the Lord, and he, and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Again I say, wait on the Lord. Let's take a few seconds preparing ourselves for our study. You've probably turned to Job, but we also need to focus ourselves on the study. God the Holy Spirit assists us in that process. But in order for him to assist us, we must acknowledge any sins that have not been confessed in our lives. So let's take a few seconds. Uh, That's all that it should take. And our confession is not to anyone other than the Father. And so we do this silently. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and then I'll open us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the book of Job. We're thankful that God the Holy Spirit has preserved this, uh, this book, inspired it and preserved it. And we're thankful, Father, that uh, as we read the book, it's not always easy to understand how it applies to us. But there are many lessons that can be learned. Um, We pray as we uh, study this in this lesson, beginning in chapter 40, that we'll be alert to what is being said to Job and Job's response and then the Lord's continued um, reprimand and guidance of Job. Again, Father, we pray that God the Holy Spirit would guide us as we proceed and that we will be able to learn lessons and apply them in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We have, in the book of Job, two speeches, and we'll see them in Job 38 through 42. We have studied the first speech, Job 38 to 40. Now, uh, that probably should say 38 through 39, uh, but... 
the second speech, which is beginning today, begins in chapter 40. Chapter 40 and chapter 41. Chapter 42 is more or less the epilogue, and uh, it is the uh, the narrative of um, what occurs to Job subsequent to his to God's second speech. Let's start here in the book of Job. I'm going to skip the intro this time. Um, we have uh, the overall point six here: God's two speeches and Job's replies. And God's first speech, Job 38 through really 39. And then we see here at the beginning of, uh, well, actually, the reason I have uh, Job 38 through 40 is because the first part of chapter 40, about the first uh, four verses, are the conclusion of God's first speech, the address to Job, Job's remarks, and then, and that's what we see here, Job's first reply to God. It's essentially verses 4 and 5. And then we begin God's second speech, which is chapter 40, uh, verses 6, and we go to uh, 41:34. All right. Here we have, we'll begin in uh, verse 1, but uh, what we'll cover tonight is God's challenge and rebuke to Job. Uh, I don't always like the word rebuke. Uh, Sometimes that seems harsh. Certainly a reprimand, we can say. But rebuke is what's often used to describe God's uh, correction towards towards Job. All right, let's begin. Job forty. There more, uh, moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, "Now he, this is a continuation of the first speech. So when it says that he answers Job, it's a continuation." Of his first speech. Two, shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Now, shall the one here is Job. Job, you are contending with me. Uh, Can you really, do you really believe that you can correct me, God? Uh, The word for content, contends here means to strive. Contends is a fine translation. Uh, So, shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes or accuses God, let him answer. So, being asked by God to answer uh, is not a secure place to be. And that's where Job finds himself. He had been impatient. I just quoted a passage from Psalm 27 that says we should wait on the Lord. 
very often will pray, will implore the Lord to assist us, to do something. We expect an answer immediately. By the time we're done praying, we wonder why the answer or the correction has not been made. But Job had been in that position. He has discussed or been in these dialogues with his friends. He's listened to Elihu. And finally, God speaks to him. And so now Job is going, is going to continue to receive the guidance from God. The Lord reinforces what we might call his thematic challenge with a dynamic question, and he's really using legal terminology. Uh, the word contend means to bring a lawsuit. Uh, this is found in many other books. We find it in uh, Isaiah. We find it in Ezekiel where the the Lord brings a lawsuit to Israel. And so it means to bring a lawsuit. Uh, We saw this earlier in Job, uh, Job 9.3. And God reverses Job's accusation that God has brought a lawsuit against him. God had not done that. It really has been Job accusing God, not the other way around, not God accusing Job. The Lord reprimands Job for his error. Who is Job to judge God is the question that God really is asking of Job. The Lord might be implying that Job has been trying to be a mediator uh, or a legal counsel before God. And so now the Lord continues to use this legal terminology. Now, we we have this introduction and just a quick summary of this in these two verses. First of all, God's first speech, which began with a uh, a reprimand and a challenge also concludes with a reprimand and challenge. The reprimand, or some of uh, the uh, English versions use the term rebuke, the reprimand is in the form of a question. And very often we will encounter a rhetorical question or a question that is really designed to be a, uh, a reprimand. The one who contends here refers to Job. So he says, shall the one who strives with the Almighty correct him? And of course, uh, the answer is very easy. Uh, no, no, we really don't want to go that, down that route. And what we see here is twice uh, in Job 10.2 and also in Job 23.6 that Job considered God's that con- considered God contending with him. In other words, bringing a court against him. But now, ironically, God turned the accusation around. 
And he says, why do you complain? Since Job had accused accused God, he should answer these questions. These are going to be questions that are presented to Job. And Job needs to have an answer or he's required to have an answer. Uh, When we find ourselves in situations similar to this, we very often realize that we better not answer. We should just keep quiet. And we'll see what Job does. So we have uh, God's challenge and rebuke to Job. Job's answer here, first reply to God. Verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. It's a wonderful figure of speech, and we'll see how this works. Uh, Behold, the uh, I am vile. Uh, the word vile here means, uh, maybe a better translation for us is insignificant, trivial. I am slight or I am completely unworthy. Uh, Maybe the context would lead us in that direction. So Job says that he is too trivial or too insignificant to answer God. Notice now that God does not stop Job. He doesn't stop him from speaking, nor does God correct him. Job acknowledges that he has nothing to say. And he does this by saying, how can I answer you, God? How, am, how, what, how in the world am I going to be able to answer your questions? Job also says that even if he had something to say, he would prevent himself from saying it. And I believe that we're in a little bit of a transition here between Job acknowledging God's reprimand and correction of him, but he still has a sense here of having been treated unjustly. Now, if we have any accurate comprehension of God and his character, we must come to the same conclusion that Job did, and that is, I'm not going to try to answer your questions, Father. We cannot challenge God or question him. Whatever is bothering us or causing us to be anxious or fearful, to approach God with an an accusing attitude is absolutely wrong. Because God knows what he's doing. And it is he who is caring, providing, and protecting us. Very often we are pleased with how things are occurring in our lives. But there are other times when uh, we face adversity. And the very often the first one we we uh, accuse is God or we blame is God. Whatever is happening in our lives is God's will. And that's difficult for us to accept. Nothing that happens in our lives is, begun, is beyond God's providence. Now, when we use the word 
providence, uh, I'm referring to God's plan, God's will. And this is why Paul directs the Philippians in four, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, how they should understand anything that happens in their lives. As a matter of fact, let's turn to Philippians 4, a very familiar passage. Keep your finger here in Job 40, turning to Philippians 4. And to support my statement here that whatever is happening in our lives is God's will. And there may be many people who would say, are you trying to tell me that this uh, adversity over here, this hardship, uh, this is God's will? And the answer is, it is in God's will. Notice here in Philippians 4, 6, it says, be anxious for nothing. So there is nothing in our lives for which we should be anxious, worried. There should not be any anxiety in our lives for in everything. So no matter what is happening in our lives, in everything. And as I've often said, the the emphasis in this clause is in everything. In everything, by prayer and supplication, two different words for prayer, emphasizing what we should do. We come to the Lord in prayer. Sadly, most of us uh, try to solve the problem ourselves, or we go to someone else for a solution. Uh, we finally, after a while, probably after blaming God, we come to the point where we say, I've come to the end of my abilities, and we address God. We're to do that at the beginning. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving here says that whatever is happening in our lives, it's God's will, and it's up to us to be thankful for whatever it is. With thanksgiving, let your requests and Many times I've mentioned this word let. It's not a possibility or it's not a suggestion. It really says your requests must be be known to God. So this is an imperative. Your requests must be known to God. And, oh, and before I go on, uh, you might say, but doesn't God already know? Yes, God already knows. But it is up to us. We have a choice to go to God and ask for his provision. Now, many times we fail to ask. Uh, sometimes uh, the situation surrounds us uh, and we're almost paralyzed by whatever it is that's happening. God is already working. But even in those situations, we should be able to ask for God's help. And the peace of God, the consolation, we might say, the tranquility of God, which surpasses all understanding. And the word here 
for surpassing is something that rises above. Uh, it's exceedingly, we could say, it surprises, it's, uh, surpasses or exceeds all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The guard here is a, a very common Greek word. It's very similar to the Hebrew word uh, to guard. And it means to protect, to keep. And uh, it's also translated, if you're guarding something, you garrison it, you defend it. So this is uh, the sense that we should have in in, in going to God for help, God's will. What's happening in our lives is God's will, and we should engage him whenever um, we are concerned or even when we're thankful. Verse 5 says, let me go back to, let's go back to Job. I was still in Philippians myself. Verse 4, Behold, I, Job, am vile. I'm completely unworthy. What shall I answer you? I lay, I lay my hand over my mouth. And the phrase here that I lay my hand over my mouth is a figure of speech that means uh, I am going to ensure that I say nothing. Verse 5, Once I have spoken... But I will not answer. Yes, twice. But I will proceed no further. So Job, Job, I just want to see that job. Job acknowledges that he has erroneously uh, spoken. And he says, I'm not going to speak again. I've learned my lesson. The phrase, yes, twice, doesn't mean that he only spoke twice. It's a figure of speech, and it means that he's spoken several times, not just twice. Wisely, Job admits that when he had previously spoken, he was wrong. So he says at this point, he'll not fail in that way again. Notice that Job is still in his situation, his horrible situation, the adversity uh, that has come upon him. But while facing God, this he knows this confront, his confrontation with God is even worse. Accusing God of some fault never advances the situation. We must learn the same lesson. We must remember that God that blaming God, does not improve our condition or our situation. And that's an important principle to apply. Very often, we have the tendency to blame God. Uh, Blaming God does not improve our situation. A quick summary of these three, really two verses, says, first of all, seeing that man is not the world's master, and that God controls and cares for his creation. Job acknowledges, and he's going to acknowledge at least two things. First of all, that his 
insignificance, his unworthiness, is uh, now present before God. He understands that. And secondly, that his inability to defend himself is becoming more and more apparent. Secondly here, his former self-confidence, meaning I will say this to God, uh, summon me, God, and I will answer. Uh, these were phrases that he that we have uh, studied previously in Job. But now his attitude has changed, and he is now exhibiting humility. Thirdly, never again would Job approach God like a stately prince. Remember in verse in chapter 31 i'm going to go back to chapter 31 verse 37 37 says he's saying that he would be speaking to the almighty and he said i would declare to him the number of my steps uh what how uh, the path that he has trod here like a prince i would approach him well no we don't have that luxury, to approach uh, God uh, as royalty. Uh, We are royalty as far as God's family is concerned, but before God, we must have humility. And then fourth, Job admitted that he could not respond to God as God challenged him to do. His only response was silence. I put my hand over my mouth. And again, this is a figure of speech. It's a gesture that we might say, clap your hand over your mouth so that you would stop speaking. Uh, Job had spoken several times, but now he felt he should say no more. However, this response of the former Job, who has been trying to defend himself, does not does not appear to advance to repentance. He was humbled, yet there is yet uh, what appears here to be steps that he needs to take. Notice that in these verses, verses 4 through 5, Behold, I am vile. What shall I say to you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no more. Now let's turn over to verse or to, to chapter 42, and this is after God speaks to him uh, more in chapter 40 and 41. Job's answer in 42:1, uh, verse one says, "Then God, then Job answered the Lord and said, "Now I'm not going to read." all of these verses, but go down to verse 6. Verse 6 says, Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Uh, the question that we might add, ask at this point is, uh, Job has humbled himself and he's not going to answer God and we would think that that would probably be the end. But we don't see this. In verse 6, In verse 6, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Out of the whirlwind and said, 
Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Now, does that sound like the Lord has chosen to continue but with compassion, uh, to do it gently? Uh, it doesn't, it does not appear to be that way. You'll notice it says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, uh, the world here, the whirlwind here once more illustrates the sovereignty, the authority, the power, the force of God. At this point, we might expect God, God to say, uh, they're there, uh, everything's all right, but God continues with the, repr- uh, the reprimand, uh, and he really intensifies the questions and the directness. Uh, so Job is not, has not uh, advanced to the, to the place where, uh, God is, is not, is satis- satisfied. All right. Verse seven. Verse six. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, now pre- uh, prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Verse 8, would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God or can you thunder like a voice like his? Uh, I'm going to stop there because verse 10 then is literally a list of if you have the, if you are equal to God, then, beginning in verse 10, then you should be able to what God says. So let's look at verse 7. Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Uh, we see this phrase, uh, God uses another phrase similar to this in Job 38.3. God here challenges Job to, we, we would probably say, to take it like a man. It's possible at this point Job is feeling sorry for himself. And I'd have to say I remember uh, as a child... I remember the tone of this type of uh, discipline. God demands that Job's concentration be focused on the correction, the learning, and not on self-pity. And I think that's what he's saying here. Now prepare yourself like a man. I will ask you, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Verse 8. Would you indeed annul? And uh, annul is the New King James Version translation, but discredit might be another word. Would you indeed discredit my judgment, my justice? And you'll remember that uh, when Job was questioning what was happening in his life, he was questioning the judgment of God. And that's what we see here. Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Uh, how often does that happen? Someone will uh, uh, want to justify themselves and they'll blame someone else or they'll have a, 
an explanation that that will justify themselves. It was one thing for Job to claim his own integrity, his own uh, judgment, but it was another matter altogether to uh, discredit, to nullify God's righteousness in the process. And as I said, we must realize that while we're trying to justify ourselves, we very often are disparaging, disparaging God's character. Our summary here, verse 1, or our first point, from verses 6 through 8, again speaking out of the storm, uh, God repeats verbatim his previous challenge, in other words, to take this like a man, that that Job should brace himself and he should be uh, ready like a man and that he should answer God's questions. Uh, Secondly here, God then reprimands Job with a question. The question is, would you discredit my judges, my justice. Only here did God refer directly to Job's accusation of the sovereign's supposed unfairness. Uh, but you'll remember that that's something that Job continued to do in the first part of the book. In the next question, would you condemn me to justify yourself? The word condemn means to act wickedly or to condemn something as being wicked. Uh, this is a, uh, a rather remarkable uh, reprimand by God. For this verse has occurred several times already in the book. And it's been used by not only by Job, but by uh, others. Job had said he would unwittingly condemn himself if God uh, confronted him. Again, he was still desiring God to appear before him. Uh, then he said he would tell God not to condemn him because that's what he thought he was, what was ongoing is that he was being condemned. Uh, Eliphaz used it. Elihu believed the word. Um, and now God said, that the one who was really being condemned was God. So in other words, Job's self-justification that he was not acting wickedly resulted in him saying that God was acting wickedly. And I think that this is an incredible point to make, is that when we try to justify ourselves, we try to say that I was not wrong or I didn't sin or it wasn't my fault. Uh, well, then what we are doing is we are discrediting what God is allowing to happen in our lives or directing in our lives. And therefore, uh, we are discrediting, discrediting God. And that's why it's important for us to simply uh, go to him in prayer, in thanksgiving, and ask for his provision. 
In verse 9, God asks Job if he is equal to God. Is he equal to God in strength or in capability? And these are rhetorical questions. Verse 9, have you an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice, with a sound like his? Like his? And the answer, of course, is, uh, I don't, I don't think so. Another way to translate this is, do you have an arm that is as powerful as God's? And can you thunder? Can you provide a superior thundering voice sound like God? And the answer, of course, is no. Now in verses 10 through 14, God states that if Job uh, states that if God, if Job is equivalent to God, then Job should do what God does. Verse 14 says, if you are the, the equivalent to God, then adorn yourselves with majesty. Now the word for majesty here could be eminence and splendor, and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse or scatter the rage of your wrath or your anger. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. In other words, this is something that God is able to do, is to take the proud and to humble them. Job, are you able to do that? Verse 12, look on everyone, you, Job, you, look on everyone who is proud and bring him low, humble him, tread down the wicked in their place. Job, can you arrest, we might say, uh, the wicked, the evil, uh, bring the uh, challenges, um, the justice to them? Verse 13, hide them in the dust. Uh, another word here for the word dust is ground. Hide them in the ground together. Bind or imprison their faces in hidden darkness, in secret places. Verse 14, then I, God, will also confess or acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save, or a better word here, uh, Yasha, is to deliver you. That your own right hand can deliver you. Uh, one thought here, verse, in verse 1, God is challenging Job to unleash his power and judge wickedness in the world. Job, can you do that? That's something that God does. Job, can you do this? And of course, the answer is no. In verse 12, look at every proud man and humiliate him, abase him, crush the wicked on the spot where it says, tread down the wicked in their place. The sense of the Hebrew is, is where they stand. Judge them where they stand. And then in verse 13, Hide them in the dust. Hide them in the ground together. Uh, the word dust here 
can mean ground. And I think more likely it's the grave. Uh, when uh, someone is uh, incorrigible, God can very often remove them from the earth, from the population. And so can you do that? Uh, can you hide them in the ground together? Can you hide them in the grave? Uh, at the end of this sentence, uh, bind or imprison their faces in hidden darkness. The hidden darkness here is secret place. And I think the word for secret place is uh, another way of saying the grave. So we have a a parallelism here. Hide them in the grave together. Imprison their faces in the grave, in Sheol is what we would say. Then verse 14, then I, God, if you can do these things, Job, then I will confess, I will acknowledge to you that your own right hand, you have the power to deliver yourself. All right. Verse 14 is as far as we'll go tonight. But let me summarize what we've studied in these verses. First of all, to contend with God suggests an assumed equality with God. If we can contend with him, if we can accuse him, then we are placing ourselves in an equal position with God. And yet, no mortal possesses that ability. Secondly, Job did not have God's strength. The word arm here symbolizes strength. He doesn't have his strength, nor does he have his ability. God's thundering voice is an indication of his authority, his ability to accomplish that which he seeks to do. Third, Without these resources to rule the world and rectify its wrongs, how could Job rightfully criticize God? God has the powers to control the earth, to ensure that the earth doesn't, the population on the earth doesn't spin out of control. As a matter of fact, we see that in the flood. The uh, population had become so evil that God removed them. And that's what God is asking Job. Can you do that? Fourth, if his accusations against the sovereign Lord were to be accepted as true, then Job must first prove his ability to take the place of God, govern The universe, we might say. Of course, he cannot. Fifth, uh, discrediting God, as Job had done, was, in essence, a usurping of divine authority. To accuse God of misdoing, of wrong, is, in fact, uh, taking the divine, taking upon divine authority. It's an attempt to put himself in God's place. Sixth, 
God reasoned if Job wanted the, the position of world ruler, then he would need to prove that he was, un, that he was qualified. And so these four questions here, adorn yourself with, with majesty, eminence, splendor, disperse the rage with your, uh, of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble. So these are things that Job are going to have to do because those are things that God can do. Seven, moreover, Job would need to dress the part, putting on God's glory and his splendor, his honor and majesty. Of course, he, Job, would be disqualified even in that. He cannot present himself as God. Point eight, furthermore, Job's assignment, God said, would be to unleash his wrath, humiliating the godless and the proud merely by looking at them and then crushing and burying them, sending them to the grave. Point nine, since Job had accused God of neglecting to punish the wicked, and this is what God uh, what Job had accused God. He said that he had neglected to punish the wicked. Then God uh, ironically suggested he turn over that responsibility to Job. Job, you can do it. To see here if Job could fulfill this. And then finally, only if Job could carry out such an awesome task, the tasks which God has uh, applied or asked really commanded Job to do. Then would God admit to the complainer, Job's independence and self-sufficiency and the validity of his his criticism. In other words, Job, if you can, in fact, accomplish what I have presented to you, then I'll acknowledge uh, that uh, I was wrong, that you were wrongfully treated. But, of course, Job is not going to be able to answer these. These rhetorical questions are all going to be, no, Lord, I cannot do that. And next week, we're going to come back, and we'll see the next part here, second speech. We've just seen God's challenge and rebuke to Job. And then we're going to begin God's questioning about two animals. One is going to be Leviathan, and the other one is going to be, let's see, yes, Behemoth, Behemoth, Behemoth and Leviathan. And there's been much discussed about these two names whether they are uh, mythology or they are literal. And I'll have some uh, points that I believe they are certainly not uh, uh, mythology, uh, but they are, in fact, an animal. One of the reasons is God asks Job to observe them. And if it's mythology, Job cannot uh, cannot observe them. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the lessons 
that Job is to learn. We're thankful that God is not only reprimanding or teaching Job, but he is teaching us. And this should be a reprimand for us because we certainly aren't perfect and we would fall very often into the same shoes as Job or sandals. We're thankful, Father, for the lessons that we can learn this. Help us to remember who you are and what you've done for us. And help us to remember that if there are uh, challenges in our lives, uh, adversity, hardship, that these must be brought to you. And we bring them to you in thanksgiving. And you will provide for us the peace, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.